Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Billy Madison is over. Sometimes I feel like an idiot. Sean Tan Lotion is good for me. He was born into privilege. Oh, really, fool? Really? And stood to inherit a fortune. But for 27-year-old Billy Madison, there's just one problem. How could I hand over my company to someone who couldn't even get through school? That's nice. Billy is not an idiot. Oh, oh, oh. Give me one more chance. I'll prove I can take over. First grade through 12th grade, all over again. And then I get to take over Madison Hotels. You're on. I want you all to meet Billy. think it's a little pathetic that just because of who your father is you get to come to school all over again yes i do i already started or something <laughs> good morning class so let's all open up our reading it's fun books to page 69 69 <laughs> where's billy he's in school man so what's it like I'm back in school. I don't know. I kind of feel like an idiot sometimes. Although I am an idiot, so it kind of works out. Universal Pictures presents... Norman Invasion of England. 1066. That is correct. Adam Sandler. I am the smartest man alive! Spanish Armada. 1466, 67. Billy Madison. 1469. 1514. 1981. God, give me the answer! Billy Madison, Andy. What the hell? <laughs> Wait, this is part of our 90s, 90s comedy series. That's why we're doing this movie. 90s comedy, yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, oof, oof, rough way to end, uh, this thing. Did you see this in 1995? No, no, I did not. Okay. So for this pre-conversation, before we get into the movie, let's just talk about Adam Sandler. You know, so this was a Saturday Night Live actor who moved into making films. I mean, you know, he had been bit parts in things, um, you know, Going Overboard, Shakes the Clown, Coneheads, one of the SNL movies, Airheads, Mix Nuts, and then this was his breakout leading role film. And that kind of uh, jumped him into um, leading comedy actor role, uh, right? Uh, kind of a position, because then he did Happy Gilmore, Bulletproof, which, you know, is a little different for him. But, you know, The Wedding Singer, The Water Boy, Big Daddy, uh, little Nicky, uh, you know, punch drunk love. That was kind of the big switch. Um, so it, it gave him this place to kind of do a lot of other things. But I mean, you look at where his career has gone, he's really stuck with a lot of kind of the, the comedy stuff, throwing in little dramatic things here and there as, as it crops up. Obviously he's gotten into kind of the voice work with his hotel Transylvania series and everything. And now with Netflix, uh, you know, he's in bed with them and they're just cranking, all sorts of things out like the ridiculous six and Hubie Halloween and murder mystery, stuff like that. So obviously he has found a, a niche and uh, kind of a level of comedy for him. Do you remember 
like his time on SNL before he really started kind of breaking out with stuff like this and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, because I remember the like the redheaded sweatshirt bit. Like I remember his his singing, right? Because that was that was an era like I was I was watching SNL at the time, you know, and it was it was one of those things that um he he was always a piece you could just sort of plug in. He was like the Pete Davidson of of SNL at that time and uh you know, he could do some funny things. I think it's rough to extend those bits to feature length. And, you know, this was one of those movies where you feel like there are there are a number of things that come right out of SNL, some of the character stuff that come right out of SNL that I, I don't think play. I think his brand of of gibberish and and the the singing bit is is fine for a frat party, but doesn't work in, in the film. You know, the fact that they did the Sloppy Joe bit and didn't sing Sloppy Joe, Slop, Sloppy Joe. Like, I kind of can't believe they didn't take it that far. And and the lunch lady, lunch lady, land. like, I can't, I, I can't, they, they put the bits in and not the songs. And in some cases, they had them singing and not doing the bits. And it just, it was a, a weird homage to stuff that was already kind of dumb. So I'm glad that you have that frame of reference. I don't think I was watching much SNL at this point in time. I think my SNL watching, or maybe I, gosh, I I really can't remember. I feel like I watched a little more like right after he had left more with kind of the early Will Ferrell window. Um, But I also feel like, you know, Adam Sandler, gosh, I really just can't remember because I feel like if he was on, I may have just skipped those ones. Like, I just, I don't remember him. Or I watched pre-Adam Sandler. I don't remember. I just don't feel like I saw a lot of SNL. So I don't think I recognized anything in here as having been pulled from SNL, which is um, interesting. So it's it's funny that you say that because I wouldn't have, like that Sloppy Joe thing came up and I'm just like, where did this come from? Like, that was yeah. a strange non sequitur. All of a sudden, it's like, you get another one, and here's a sloppy joke for you. And I'm like, what are they, what is this bit? So, okay, so that makes that make a little more sense to me. Still, it wasn't great, but. Do you, I, I mean, let's just, let me just say, before we talk about the show, you're going to do the rating and everything like this. Oh, if, if there was another movie, and I'm intentionally putting it here in our conversation so that we don't execute this plan. If there was another Adam Sandler movie that you would prefer to talk about for an hour, which one is it? I I struggle with Adam Sandler often in his humor because I I do find he kind of does this weird voice and like he acts like he is a child and then also very ragey. And so I don't like a lot of that of him. When I do like him, it's in things like The Wedding Singer or Fifty First Dates. Like I really enjoy those two rom coms that he does with Drew Barrymore. And I think it's because there's he feels a little less angry and a little more genuine in the way that he's kind of coming across. When he has kind of this ragey, angry side, I just am so much less interested in him, period. And it's interesting because I feel like you look at stuff like Punch Drunk Love and I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I know you don't like that one. I don't care for that one. But I think that's because Paul Thomas Anderson really enjoys that ragey side of Adam Sandler and drew on it to really kind of create that character who is a very angry, ragey guy. He's very quiet and everything. And then he just bursts into his angry phase. So I didn't care for that one. It, It would be an interesting one to talk about for sure. 
most recently, I think Uncut Gems would be a very interesting one to talk about because I mm-hmm. think that's um, there's an interesting kind of like a, a side to Adam Sandler that I don't think had been explored much before. It's a it's a difficult film to watch, but I do found I do find it to be quite uh, quite strong, and so I think. Uh, that's kind of where I end up landing with him. And I have seen some other films of his. I mean, I did see Bulletproof, which, you know, is fine. I did see The Waterboy. And, you know, he's that one, he's a very sweet guy. And it was actually kind of a funny movie. And so that one would be kind of funny to talk about. Little Then I saw Little Nicky in the theater, and I really regretted it. And that was... <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of his comedies, um, if it wasn't like a rom-com uh, since then. That was... Oof. Well, and the family stuff, like, I... I don't have a strong memory of Click, but I will tell you that bedtime stories became a staple around here as a as a family friendly comedy. There is a little bit of his uh, the the you know him playing a child voice idiot, uh, but not very much. And overall, I think it it sort of it's it holds up. Like we we my kids put it on a couple of weeks ago and and it, it actually it's kind of sweet and it it has some fun and funny moments childish and fun and funny great for younger kids like it just it's it's goofy and has some gross stuff and it's it's good for laughs i'm with you on uncut gems uh, i think that would have been the one that i would have have picked um i the other ones that i haven't seen though like sandy wexler and goldman v silverman those that's another safty brothers one um and i haven't seen hustle yet um but it's it's one of those that uh, it I think it's it just dropped on Netflix like a week or two ago from Jeremiah Zager. I, I think it gets to the promise of Adam Sandler, which is like stop doing the bits, like just act. Because I think there are movies that perform that that show this guy is a performer and has range, and he got stuck, and he's so stuck as evidenced by you know, his, his, some of his responses to criticism around his Netflix deal that, you know, he is like, he brings some serious financial weight, um, to, you know, to that platform. Like his, his movies are there and they are watched apparently. Well, and they're not crazy budgets either. It's not like, yeah. you know, Martin Scorsese doing this four hour epic, uh, period piece, uh, you know, this is like, you know, he, he does these modest budget comedies. And so because of that, uh, they're able to kind of, you know, work better for Netflix than some of these bigger ones that they're complaining about. The the, uh, the one that I, um, I've heard great things about, and particular um, Adam Sandler's performance, is the Meyerowitz stories that he did with Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman. I've heard just fantastic things about that uh, Noah Baumbach's film that I believe also was a straight to Netflix film. That's true. And um, but I just I it kind of fell off the radar. I don't know if it was because of you know complaints about Dustin Hoffman at the time or what, but it kind of fell off the radar. It is one that I'm very curious to uh, check out at some point because I I do keep hearing um, how strong that one is. So yeah. I don't, I don't hate Adam Sandler. Um, I just, and, and honestly, I mean, I know that this film, Happy Gilmore, all of these comedies that he cranks out, I know he has a huge audience because there are people who really enjoy his comedy and, you know, more power to them. Um, you know, they can have them. I just, I am not the audience for, uh, this film or 
most of his uh, most of his comedies. So I think I, I think that's where I kind of end up landing with Sandler. Well, uh, as David Ehrlich said, um, that uh, specifically about the Meyerowitz stories, uh, it is a notable noticeable improvement from Adam Sandler's previous three Netflix originals in much the same way that a glass of Manischewitz is a noticeable improvement from drinking one of those ominous puddles that forms in the groove of a New York City subway seat. That, I think, sums up my feeling about this part. This is a subway seat movie. Did you see the Meyerowitz stories? No. Okay. No, I'm with you. I, yeah. I I had forgotten it even existed until I looked it up on Letterboxd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we, should, right. we should look at that one. So, all right. Well, this movie was rated PG-13 when it came out, and that was for language and crude humor. Want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, you can. If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to the movie in the show notes, just click on it. It will take you right to their site, and you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, uh, you get the movie. We get a little tiny piece in return. The filmmakers, everyone kind of wins. It's a great way to kind of boost the the general overall cinematic community. I think that's And what you can head for. over to uh, <laughs> cinematic community. We'll go with that. And you can jump over to our merch store at truestory.fm slash DNR merch. Pick up some logo stuff. You can even just, just get the, the next real logo shirt. It's a classic uh the, the classic logo. Uh, it's our it's our antique beer bottle logo of the next real. Uh, and so you could sport that on a, a mug or a, a shirt or a pillow. You could put your head on our logo. That would be awesome. Uh, anything you buy over at our, our merch store there we get a, a little tiny sniff so tiny we would love to feature audio reviews from you our dear listeners uh, we have our entire lineup over in our letterboxed uh, page for our next season since this is the end of this season uh, you can go look at our watch list for next season start watching the movies send us your audio review to reviews at truestory.fm once you watch it we'll hold on to the file and once we get the film reviewed we will throw your clip into the episode again just send it to reviews at truestory.fm so that letterbox thing once you get over there you're going to watch, look at the watch list and it's going to be, it's going to have ads on the page. And you're like, why am I, why are my eyeballs subsidizing this watch list? I, I think this should be, uh, this should be just clean and clear and aesthetically pure. And I have an answer for that too. You just go over to, uh, their, their patron or pro page. Just go scroll down to the footer and say, I want to support Letterboxd and enter the code next reel at checkout. So that will give you 20% off that upgrade to patron or pro. You'll have no ads. You'll be supporting a great team making this social network for movie lovers. And once again, the next reel gets a little sniff. Helps support the cost, helps keep the show online, helps pay for hosting and delivery of this podcast. You know, we're cruising toward 1,100 episodes uh, of this show. I mean, we're within uh, striking distance, maybe two or three as we end this season of uh, 1,100 episodes. That is a lot of files and, you know, bits. There's so many bits that are being stored and delivered on demand. So for those of you who treat this as like a library show that where, hey, I just watched a movie and the next reel talked about it in 2016 and go back to look at those bits cost us the same as new bits. And so it really helps us out. Anything you do uh, that that helps us out uh, gives us a sniff, whether it's merch or Patreon 
or even becoming a member of ours yourself. Yeah, that's right. You can become a member of our show. You get uh, early episodes. You get member bonus episodes every month. We've been doing an episode returning to a previous series. We've been doing flick chart re-rankings. We've been doing an episode at the end of each series, kind of reviewing the series as a whole called our retake. So all sorts of extra episodes, plus the early access that you get as a member and special Discord channels that you get. So you can learn more about becoming a member at truestory.fm slash TNR membership. Most it'll cost you is $5 per month or $55 per year. I, I fear that my opinion of this movie, and I should say, Brian, in the chat room, uh, if you're if you were a member, you could jump into the TNR live stream chat room and, and chat along as we as we record this live. Brian already called the shot and said at its at its high, his most liberal assessment of my letterbox review was going to be three stars. I uh, I fear Brian shall be disappointed. Um, but that said. I worry that my opinion of this movie will be taken out of context and extrapolated to my opinion of juvenile humor. And I assure you, that is not the case. I am all in on stupid humor. I really, I, I believe heartily in stupid humor. And a guilty pleasure for me, for example, is role models. I find that movie so stupid. Stupid funny. I I laugh at that all the way through. Um, and it, it feels like a very similar class to to what, you know, Sandler is going for in this movie. So I love stupid humor. I do not love this stupid humor. It's interesting. I don't think role models I, I, I screams out to me as stupid humor. Um, that feels a little more just straight up comedy. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's an interesting thing to discuss because I think there's a level of kind of that juvenile or sophomoric humor and that film seems uh, maybe some of it is, but I feel like um, it's just they're having more fun. How about Step Brothers? Is that one that you? Would that's count juvenile as? humor. Yep, See, I would say I that's juvenile that humor. Hysterical, hysterical. Yeah, that one's kind of a bore. Uh, but you look uh, at something like Dumb and Dumber. That one to yep. me, which actually is probably a better comparison because it came out. Was it the same year? Actually, Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber came out in 94. So it was right before this. That, to me, uh, worked exceptionally well. I don't know. I, I really struggle. Like, why is it that I find that film works so well? And maybe it's because I genuinely find those two guys so charming in their mm -hmm. uh, goofiness. And I, I end up finding Billy Madison. Again, it's just like this anger, rage thing that Adam Sandler seems to always be kind of kind of have bubbling under the surface. And so I really struggle with that. But I don't have that issue with either of the two leads in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Jeff Daniels and, and Jim Carrey both are kind of operating on the same juvenile level, but they're so, I don't know, there's this kind-hearted goofiness that they have through the whole thing. And so I end up connecting with those guys so much more than I ever do with Billy. Uh, movies like uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street. Um, um, super bad. Um, I don't, uh, okay. So, okay. So what are we saying is, is it just juvenile? That's what I'm, that's what I'm asking. Like I'm literally, I'm, I am trying to build a pattern that adapts to your opinion of what, of where this movie fits. 
Well, I think there's way too much heart in 2122 Jump Street, right? I think there's Well, I also don't think they're as juvenile. And maybe it's just yeah, the right, character, right. Billy himself, that is just... And that's why I just... I can't think of anything other than Dumb and Dumber, because they're all acting like such idiots. Okay, I've got one. Okay. Zach Galifianakis in the Hangover movie. Genuinely a funny, funny character, though. I agree. You know? But I think there are people a, who would look at, Sand, at Sandler in this one and say, okay... He's a funny, funny character. Oh, well, and again, I, and this is, this is, I think, the line that we're perpetually going to be battling with because I think yeah. it, it boils down to what are your tastes in comedy? And I think there are lines of, of comedy that I just like when, when he starts, when Adam Sandler is, he comes into his dad's meeting room. Well, first off, the movie starts and he's, he and his buddies are drinking by the pool. And he starts hallucinating and seeing this giant penguin and he's racing around the place and he's going to he's like, you know, boobies, boobies. I got to get my booby magazines and whatever, you know, is it was so absurdly kind of just crass. And uh, I don't know, it threw me. And then when he goes into his dad's meeting, I don't know, he just starts talking gibberish. And it just like it. I didn't have a, a sense of this, like a. a like this character as anything other than just an annoyance. Yeah. And, and I get it. Some people really will like that. But for me, it's just like, uh, who is this guy? Like, he's just this annoying guy just doing nonsense. And it, there was no sense of character other than here to be annoying. I think the curse of this movie is one that, that it's fireworks, uh, nonsense fireworks. Um, but the, the challenge with his performance of it is that he swings so broadly from being an annoyance to being a, a rather interesting guy, right? Like when he is having conversations with Veronica, he is, uh, he is able to, to be a, a, a mature, adult like a likable adult <laughs> she doesn't really see him all that often like splashing around the pool looking at, at drunk girls magazines right like i guess she sees some of that when she goes into his weird safari tent in his backyard but um but you know she's we have a whole separate conversation to talk about her the the real issue that i have is that it is in the universe of the film he is not a believable character, right? Yeah. It is a it's a ridiculous premise. Like you have to go through all 12 grades, you know, first grade through 12th grade in two weeks each in order to get this company. We have lots of movies where the impossible deal is absurd and you win a company at the end. Like that's a that's something we are accustomed to. It's not like they're introducing some new magical thing that we have to get used to. We're set up already because of film history. They've just put this unbelievable character in it that has way too much range. Like, there's no excuse for the way he swings in the narrative of the film. Like, the film just just saying, apologizing for the film and saying, oh, the film knows he's an annoyance is not enough. I don't believe his motivation for why he is so stupid around his dad. I don't believe it. I just don't understand why that exists, because it's so out of the blue which makes that and that context shock takes me out of it every single time right like i love to laugh at dumb things and this is a not a laughable dumb thing i think it could be a smarter a smarter dumb thing <laughs> yeah and and also i think it is one of those films that um I, i'm not 100 percent sure on this but i feel like you likely needed to see it at the time 
at the right age or with the right mentality to have it be something that works for you. Like I, I told my son, who's 11, hey, sit down and watch this with me because I thought maybe – if I could see it through his eyes as he was enjoying it, maybe that would help me because that certainly has helped in, with some other films. And after 10 minutes, he's just like, okay, can I go now? And he just, he couldn't get into it. And uh, I mean, and to that end, he has seen stuff like Hubie Halloween, uh, which he watched on Netflix. So I feel like maybe there's this, this thing that clicks with Adam Sandler fans who watched it at the time who really just get into it. Um, uh, your point is well made and i think that's one of the frustrations with this film is like this character is just like uh, just like a nonsense character and i just don't and I, I i mean listening to tamra davis talk about it and how fun they had making it and they had this goal of always wanting to um try to make every scene the funniest it could be and i get it when you're making a comedy that's the goal and i feel like in the case of a film like this, it ends up turning it into kind of a sketch film where it's like every scene is its own little sketch. Let's do what we can that's funny here. Okay, let's do what we can that's funny here. And when you look at the big picture, I just don't feel like it, it ends up creating this cohesive picture of this character. And and like Billy and his quest to take over the company, it's like, why is he even interested in taking over this company? Other than it seems like the only interest he has is to make sure that, that Bradley Whitford's character of Eric doesn't get it. Like that seems to be his only motivation because it certainly doesn't seem interest like uh, interest. And instead, why didn't he just tell his dad, Eric's terrible. Why don't you give it to Carl? He's so much more appropriate for it or something as opposed to going through this whole nonsense. And I get it. It's the plot of the film, but it just like, that seems to be his only factor in doing this and and it just i don't know and and it makes me like darren mcgavin's character less <laughs> like it just it ends up creating this nonsense story that i just can't i can't ride with and and it's it makes for a frustrating experience with this film yeah yeah i i think that's really the 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 trick that he is like, he is an unjustified malignancy in this movie sandler is and um I I'm with you. I don't like the the infantile rage machine that he swings into every now and again. I think it's a distraction and I don't think it's funny. I think that character has aged poorly. And I I think just writ large, it is an unjustified narrative consequence that that at no point just because you've been told just because you've been entitled all along believing that you are going to get this company is not enough to to build the kind of personality battle between bradley whitford and adam sandler to make it interesting it's just not and uh, i'll go this is this really is the same movie as as bedtime stories right because he is a uh he's a groundskeeper for a, a small hotel that was uh, purchased by a much larger hotel and the the uh chief operating officer or whatever of the much larger hotel franchise is about to get the ownership of the company and uh, it's another hotel thing like it's essentially billy madison and he is still sandler's character is still a a groundskeeper but he has ideas he has aspirations for what the hotel could be and because of that he has pent-up frustration like he has character consequences he will not be fully realized until he's able to be noticed and get these off his chest and that creates a real 
conflict between him and this other character vying for leadership of this company. And in the context of stupid comedies, they actually have a, a idea duel off that ends up being really funny and I think works so much better because there are personal intrinsic stakes inside the character. He wants something. And Billy Madison never wants anything uh, in any sort of satisfying way, uh, apart from just getting to the end. Like, I don't think the movie makes a strong enough case. We do have that turn in the third act where he says, I'm, I've been cheated. And so he, he does realize what he has wanted all along when he, when the news drops that the principal has been, is saying that he was paid off and that the, the entire experiment was fraudulent. And then things sort of turn on the narrative angle, right? But, that means two-thirds of the movie is just kind of nonsense parading through. Well, uh, yeah, and I, I think um, there is an interesting element of the film also that that looks at kind of social status. And we talked about this a little bit with um, Clueless because here or in that film, we're following these Beverly Hills students, in particular ones who have ridiculous amounts of money and just kind of throw it around left and right. And it's not a point of the film, but it certainly is a plot element that allows for them to do the things that they're doing for the film, right? And in this particular case, it's it's kind of the same thing. The That element of it comes into play because it's like you you have this ridiculously rich hotel um, ho- hotelier I guess um, you know in Darren McGavin and this is his you know he's this the owner of this big chain they live in this ridiculous mansion his son is uh, a schlub who just hangs around in the backyard drinking with his buddies and destroying the property with his golf cart uh, making so much more work for the the people taking care of the place um, and and so we get this sense of of wealth and um, the the uh, the haves you know people who just have a lot of uh, of stuff and are able to just do whatever they want and are able to put on this entire twenty four week thing where they're going to be sending Billy back to school in you know from grade to grade over a number of months and. They do call it out a few times in the film where you have, uh, you know, somebody saying how ridiculous it is that that they're able to pay for him to do that, things like that. Obviously, that whole big uh, academic decathlon that they have at the end, the principal calls out that, you know, thanks to this big donation from this guy, we're able to do this, uh, this thing. And so they call it out a few times. But again, I, I feel like they're doing it in a way where... It, it works in context. The comedy needs that. They need him to be this ridiculously rich guy with to inherit this hotel. Um, but it also makes because of him as this person, it makes me like him so much less because he's just this ridiculously rich kid who who gets to act like a brat, do whatever he wants, gets to get this company by getting his dad to do this big thing by taking over all these schools and and having this big experiment happen. And unlike Clueless, you know, this character, Billy Madison, he's just such a dislikable character that it just makes me so much more irritated with these people than Clueless ever did. So let's take that distaste that you're really sucking on right now and let's turn our attention to the actual classroom experience so he he that again the premise he has to go to each grade for two weeks and pass successfully and we really only see first through fourth right and and high school and then it's a montage (laughs) and one well a, a day or two of high school yeah 
it's a montage and he, he goes goes to high school and he has a rough time. Um, what is your sense of how they handled the school treatment? The principal, like, conceit of this movie. How do you think he, he did in school? Again, they boil it down to just having fun sketches as opposed to giving us any sense of him out of um, gaining any sense of education from it. His The first grade class is pretty much designed to be a joke around paste and dodgeball. I don't know why the, we cut. I mean, the teacher is painted as a weirdo. She's, you know, when the kids, she sends the kids to play outside so that she can do her weird dances and stuff. She's like this new age something. I'm not sure. At some point, she's smearing paste on her own face. What was that all about? I have no idea. No idea. I, I don't know what was going on with, with what they were doing with that teacher. Really, it boiled down to um, the conversation about the kids' book, the teacher being nonsense, and then the dodgeball, which, I mean, it's that's, I think, one of the selling points for the film is seeing this big guy, Adam Sandler, rage throwing dodgeballs at these little tiny kids, which is actually a funny story that we, we can talk about in a sec. Well, I think we can talk about it now. I don't know why, we're, why we'd wait. What did you, what pray tell did you like about dodgeball? It was, just, it was funny to learn because Adam Sandler, when he was talking to Tamara Davis about this scene, um, he said, you know, it's funny to, to, uh, to hurt the kids. And she's like, what are you talking about? That's a horrible thing. And he's like, no, it's funny. People will laugh. They'll, they'll think it's really funny. And she was horrified, but, uh, and he, and so he told the uh, props person, uh, the head of props to um, to deflate the dodgeballs a little bit so they weren't so hard because he was going to really chuck them at these kids. And he told Tamara, he's just like, just make sure all the parents approve that, you know, they know that we're going to be throwing, like really throwing these dodgeballs at the kids. And she was horrified at this whole thing. She thought it was a terrible idea. But, you know, movie parents, they're like, if my kid gets to be on the screen, then sure. And the kids are like, me, me, me. And they're all excited about this. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. But she said, the reason that they cut every time he, a kid gets hit by the dodgeball is because there were so many tears. <laughs> She's like, there were so many tears that that's why we keep cutting because he was, he was throwing those balls so hard at those kids. But he said, even after, or she said, even afterward, those kids were raising their hands again because they wanted to get hit again. It was just like Do they were having again. fun in that way where, you know, you, you know, the slap game where you play that and you slap each other's yeah. hands. It's like, I keep playing, but my hands are red and I feel like yeah. I'm going to be yeah. bleeding soon. So it's one of those things. So it was a very funny story hearing kind of that. And I mean, it is a funny scene. Like that was one of those things that works. And that's one of those things where kind of that ragey Adam Sandler kind of uh, ends up playing well in context of what they're trying to do with the movie. Yeah, I, I get it. And I get that, you know, dot kids do stupid things and dodgeball was a, is a ridiculous game. I can't, and I say that because as a child, I was bad at it. Of course, that's my baggage. I hate dodgeball. I hate watching <laughs> dodgeball. I think it's ridiculous. And, um, but there are some, there, kid, kids get some funny shots. And that's the point, right? That, that's the conceit. Uh, sometimes you, kids eat paste. And so when you put an idiot 27 year old in a first grade classroom, of course, the joke is make him do the thing that a first grader would do. Make him do the thing. What is the what is the conflict that comes out of making a full size adult person uh, doing a small child thing 
funny. I get that. That's like, that's not lost on me at all. Part of me, as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, man, I wonder if this would be funnier for me if Andy Samberg was in it. Like, I am one of those people that believes that Andy Samberg is just a generational leveling up of Adam Sandler. He's uh, He performs smarter and funnier, and his bits are better, and I just like him more. So I'm already biased against another guy whose name is A.S., and I I worry that I just don't like Sandler's comedic performances. Because I do like his other stuff. I just want to say that. So um, this one, it, it just doesn't play. The other piece that I have a problem with here it, when talking about the school is that I feel like they spent way too much time in the little kid grades because they were going for the cheap jokes and the more substantive humor would have come later when you get into the, uh, you know, the more emotional stuff like that, that we do get little pieces of when he pulls up in the fire in the Trans Am and, and, uh, you know, he's dressed with an Ario Speedwagon shirt on. Like I started to feel more represented by the high school, like the later middle school and the high school stuff, uh, and found that funnier and harder to watch because of the discomfort that I had in it. I thought the young kid stuff where we spent most of our time was going for the cheap humor and I didn't I didn't care for it. I think the reason that they did that is because that is the the level that Sandler's working on. He is no, working on disagree. that elementary yeah. school level. And I don't think and, and and I think if they had tried to find a way to keep his you know juvenile uh, comedy in the high school, I don't think that it would have, um, they would, well, I mean, we get what happens. Like the high school kids think that he's just like, so uncool. Like the girls like, don't even talk to me because he is like, I mean, literally he's like a second grader coming in to be in a high school class. He just doesn't make any sense there. And so I think that's why they, that's why they operated it that way. And, you know, they needed to end high school quickly. And, and I think that's largely they they kept it in elementary school because that's where Sandler works in those base level jokes. Once he gets up to high school, I don't think they could carry it more than that contrast just to play how much dumber he is than all the high school kids. And that's why we had to come up with the whole thing to have the um, the principal uh, do this whole calling out this this you know this blackmail yeah, it's like thing they, that it's like pulling the ripcord on the on right. the story like let's uh, exactly. move on yeah, yeah. we can't yeah. we can't sustain this for 12 grades so we've got to bail on it come up with another thing and then just do this academic decathlon with eric and that's really what the whole thing boils down to it's like he's not even going through high school by that point it just like i i i felt like the whole thing just kind of collapses on itself because they can't they couldn't sustain like something that I a movie another movie that I was thinking about in context of this was Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield because again here's this guy who needs to, I, and I can't remember the the conceit but he has to go back to college and get his degree and you know he's this uh, you know big you know corporate guy but he has to go and get his degree but he literally has to do it like and that's what made that movie work is because you have that fantastic montage at the end when Rodney Dangerfield is actually studying and trying to get all the stuff um sorted out so that he could actually graduate at the end of the film and to that end like you set it up and you pay it off and this movie yeah, you set yeah. up this whole conceit with this thing and then you're like you know what it's not working let's just come up with a different thing at the end and it'll be fine yeah. and they they it's like they give up on the plot <laughs> 
totally give up on the plot, which is to to this last point, the academic decathlon, which is uh, ridiculous because they actually like he wins by losing because he's he happens to be ahead by a point because he didn't light a pie on fire uh, in home ec, which is the you know, the sort of the biggest flamboyant, (laughs) dare I say, joke. And uh, then they both lose the final point, so he wins the decathlon. This is not a pro-education movie at all. Like, he skates by and effectively gets uh, a gamed version of the GED as a result of of this thing. It ends up being, like, he's he's learned really nothing, and he's taking his academic experience, and he's going to pivot that into becoming the worst uh, teacher <laughs> That's the big lesson. He's going to be a teacher. Well, if the one, I mean, you know, you talk about the its stance on education here in this particular film, Yahoo for school. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, I I like to think uh, there was that era when the, I think it was the American Library Association was like, you know, doing those heroes read and or whatever. It's like, you know, all these different famous people on posters about like, I love to read, you should too, or whatever it is, Uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Robin Williams and uh, whoever, you know, all these different people. And it just like the level, the highest we get in this film is a poster of like Billy Madison, Yahoo for school. That's about, that's about where we get to as far as like the pro education stance that the film holds. It's, uh, it's very weak sauce as far as what they're, actually trying to say and do with this film but again that's not their motivation their whole thing is like i want to win this company back from eric because he's bad and he does and he's like oh i didn't really want it anyway why don't you give it to carl it's like that's that's essentially the uh, the the what we have going on here i wonder like uh, i i think wrap wrap up my opinion without you know overly bashing sandler's performance here is that um, I wonder if a character more aligned with someone like, um, you know, Steve Martin playing Ruprecht <laughs> in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels might have been able to pull this off more. I think the swings of this character going from the juvenile first, second and third grader going into fourth grade and realizing he has a crush on Veronica and needs to be an adult in order to make that play um, is worse for the movie because we don't actually get a sense of him growing at all through the 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 course of the film it is um it it's too much does that ring any bells well yeah i, I and and let's talk about third grade now uh this is uh veronica vaughn um the miss miss vaughn the third grade teacher that he he meets early on in the film totally falls for her he you know love at first sight sort of looks or lust at first sight from billy as he sees miss vaughn and then when he finds out he's she's going to be his third grade teacher he's thrilled she's not thrilled at all and calls him out for being juvenile making fun of another kid who's trying struggling to read in class calls him out pulls him out of the class by grabbing his ear and has it out with him like you are a um you know just because your dad can pay to have you here doesn't mean that i'm going to like it she even tells her class you know we're gonna have to tolerate him i apologize uh, we have to deal with this for two weeks uh, because his daddy can can do it she seems to hate him and the transition like what is it that suddenly makes her uh like him like they're like 
even before there there is a moment where there's that character beat where um he makes it seem like it's okay to wet your pants because you know his little second or third grade buddy um wet his pants and so adam sandler pretends he did and is like everybody's doing it it's super cool um she's like that was very sweet and that seems to be kind of like what's meant to be kind of the tr- character transition for her saying you know he's not so bad but she's already been transitioning to you know kind of like him and it's just like what a weak character it just it it just seems to be so typical i, I don't know if it's just typical of the 90s and the 80s of of kind of male film characters um how the woman just has to fall for them it doesn't matter how obnoxious they are it's just easy for them to fall for him and it just is like this is i don't know i i really disliked this relationship between these two characters because it just it just there was nothing uh to like about him well unless we forget he does grope her on the bus because uh, an 11 year old Double dared him to do so. Double dares him, yes. Should have been a triple dog dare. You said that. I didn't say that. That doesn't make just, it okay. I'm just saying, there is no I'm just level of a dog movie. dare, <laughs> dog dare <laughs> that makes it okay. No, you're right. I'm just. I, I'm just. It's a better movie when you have a triple dog dare. Well, that's true. There, more triple dog dares all around, but not on buses, and certainly not groping your teacher. And the way she responds to it is that she she responds as if an eleven year old had done it. That she's so understanding. But that's where the, it's those kinds of things where the movie falls apart and takes you out of the movie. Maybe it would have played when the movie came out uh, as that sort of dumb humor. Certainly, a lot of people got it as such. It doesn't age well. That kind of stuff certainly um, uh, makes the movie poorer for it today. That's a big issue with it is it's like uh, the jabs at women characters just as jokes for guy for male audiences to to have these bits where it's just like they're just uh, way too easy on them. Like it's like the reaction is like, oh, you, yeah, you you're so you're so silly. Like that's essentially how she responds to him. Well, and the uh, maid, his assistant. Juanita is cleaning the house and she is super lusty over Billy. Well, the way that's played for comedy is also insensitive uh, over the years because, you know, her jokes are like, you know, can I make you feel better? Um, You know, you're a fine piece of ass. Let me take my shirt off for you. Like those are are played for jokes from her perspective. But from his, the perspective we've been following the whole time, it's a grotesquerie, right? He is he is is uh, struggling with that and so that's also the uh, a sad kind of humor right that's a sad that's also a sad joke and that's honestly a weird uh way to take it because at the beginning of the film you look at some of the adult magazines that billy that is looking at and it seems like he would be way into his maid so to then all of a sudden it's like now they're having it both ways. We're going to make fun of him for being into these magazines. Uh, we're going to also make fun of, of, you know, that grotesquerie uh, romance yeah. idea. And it's, so it, it ends up coming across like all over not working well at all. Yeah. Yeah. Do we talk about Whitford? Like what, what, what Whitford is doing in here? Uh, what is Whitford doing in here? Oh, I don't know. know what Bradley Whitford. I, I, I love, love Bradley Whitford. <laughs> Bradley, Bradley Whitford. What is he doing in this movie? Um, he was doing um, like character bits in some TV episodes here and there. 
um, in the mid nineties. Um, other than like in film, it was smaller roles, stuff like the client or Cobb. Um, I, I think he had a bigger role in my fellow Americans. I think he was like chief of staff or something for one of them. I can't remember exactly, but he's just one of those actors who's great. And, uh, I, I, I see him in something like this. I'm like, uh, well, again, you know, I, I think actors, if, if, it, if it's something they click with, then great. I'm glad that it worked for him. And certainly I'm sure his fans are thrilled that, uh, you know, he's in this and so many other things too, because he's a good actor. He is a good actor. He did. I, I haven't actually uh, watched it, but I was really excited to watch it because he was in it's a it's a pandemic, a pandemic movie that came out um, in 2020 uh, called Songbird. Have you heard of this one? No, I don't think so. I was really excited to watch it. Pandemic rages across the country. And then I looked on IMDb and it's a 4.7. So I lowered it in my watch list. But he's in it and he looks really great. And so uh, I feel like I'm at the point where I can I can watch pandemic movies uh, and enjoy them. And uh, so that bummed me out. But I love him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, I love him. Uh, like, I just every time I see him, I find him super charismatic. And I see this movie and I'm like, ah. That's a bummer. Yeah. But he is also, I think, you know, uh, Ben has a great point in the chat room uh, that he matches the tone of the film and acts like a grown man child and just in a different way. And the fact that he ends up losing the academic decathlon is just demonstrative of where they're trying to put these two individuals. Right. And um, <laughs> to, a, to a question it, it, about business ethics, which is uh, the big joke there. Yeah. Exactly. And that that's a it's a great joke. I mean, that that actually ends up playing as a great joke. I there is when you talk about just sort of the absurdist writing, the exchange between him and, and Carl about the Trisket. I had a Trisket on the way over and they have the the, the little Trisket uh, commentary. I find hysterically funny. Like, I love those little bits of of uh, dialogue that are inserted in here that stick with me. And so, um, you know, it's it's great. Uh, some of some of his stuff is is funny. Uh, it's just a it, weird seeing his face in here. Well, and I'm not saying like nothing in this movie made me laugh. Like there are bits right. in here. I mean, Chris Farley almost always makes me laugh in whatever he does. And as the raging, angry bus driver that he <laughs> he worked really well when and actually one of my favorite exchanges was when he was talking to Billy about how he nailed the teacher and he's like no you didn't do that he's like oh no I didn't do that. but my buddy did oh man it was great he didn't yeah. really do that no no well, like here's the problem <laughs> those Andy, the great with bits, exactly yeah. that the guy who owns infantile rage monster is chris farley yes you don't put chris farley in that role next to sandler and uh, expect it not to be funnier than your principal character like he's the van by the river guy come on <laughs> like he owns that he's very funny um norm mcdonald is the other big face from SNL that we get here. And this was his theatrical debut. Like, this is where he first popped up in movies. And, of course, he went on to do plenty of other things with, um, you know, many of the SNL people. And and outside of that, um, plenty of stuff with Adam Sandler through the years. Um, sadly, we just lost him, uh, gosh, a year and a half ago now, or maybe not even a year. No, not even a year. Yeah. It was just last fall. Um, that was kind of sad. But, you know, Norm MacDonald is one of those funny guys. 
not given really anything fun to do here, just kind of like the drunk friend by the pool. And yep. I didn't really care. I think he's very funny. Other than just having him in it. But yeah, it just is a little bit flat. Yeah, that's one of those things where the, just the appearance itself ages nostalgically since we just lost him. I didn't care for him in the movie. I don't think his bits are very funny. Um, I think he was... Uh, he he was. I liked him a lot on SNL. I thought he was a great Bob Dole. I loved Weekend Update with him. Like I think he did some really funny stuff uh, on that show. But as a as a theatrical performer, I I prefer watching his stand up. Yeah, I think it's been a long time. So, what did you think of Bridget Wilson as Miss Vaughn? Bridget Wilson's interesting. Do you, do you remember her from the nineties? Like Last Action Hero. Mortal Kombat. Uh, she pops up in stuff like Nixon. Uh, I know what you did last summer. Mm-hmm. She was busy through the 90s. I mean, now she's married to Pete Sampras, and she's pretty much been out of the acting scene since 2008-ish. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, in the 90s, she was pretty, she was, you know, one of those faces that we were seeing quite a bit. Do you remember her? I mean, when you watched her, did you say, oh, I know her? She's one of those faces that I recognize, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you what it was from. Yep, that that's exactly where I was too. Um, I definitely recognized her, uh, and when I looked at her uh, filmography, I was really surprised to see that her last film was Phantom Punch in two thousand eight, and then nothing, because like I, I I guess I would have expected to see more from from her. Like she seems to have the acting chops to get cast over and over again with some big names. Um, she's uh, attractive. She's uh, she can pull off funny. Yeah, I thought I, I was surprising to see that she um, she kind of decided to retire. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know that uh, she and Sampras have a couple kids. I'm not sure if yeah she just kind of retired and has been taking care of the kids. I'm not I'm not really sure. What she's done since. Have you seen Phantom Punch, her last film? No. It's a boxing movie, though, right? I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's a boxing movie. I haven't seen that. I did see... Um, I, I saw Shop Girl, which was based on... Steve Steve Martin's film based on his uh, book. Uh, and I, I quite liked that, but I wasn't watching it for her. I was watching it for Claire Danes and, and Jason Schwartzman. And she was she was in it, and I had no memory of of her being in the movie. Yeah. And she was a, a principal character in it, too, and I, I couldn't place her role. Phantom Punch also starred Stacey Dash from Clueless. Oh, there you go. Interesting All little right. connection there. So, um, Yeah, so other than the cast, I don't know if I have much else. So Tamara Davis, um, you know, she's, <laughs> if you look at her filmography, she largely made uh, a dent in the music video industry. Um, early on, she was making uh, just a ton of videos in the um, 80s, 90s, Depeche Mode, The Smiths, uh, Faith No More, The Bangles, um, Sonic Youth, New Kids on the Block. Like she was just doing so much with uh, music video and everything. And, and that's really where she uh, broke in is doing that sort of work. And um, and then and I watched. So I wanted to see her first film, which was Gun Crazy, a film that was a very loose adaptation of the the film noir gun crazy from the 50s this film is drew barrymore and james lagrosse um and i was curious about it to kind of check it out it actually has some good things going for it it's not a great film um but drew barrymore is great in it as this young teen who is just living uh you know poor and and ends up connecting with a uh a, a guy in prison and you know they go gun crazy it's in the title 
um, it's it doesn't completely work, but there are interesting elements within it. And I think Tamara Davis, it's interesting to me that she ended up directing Billy Madison because it seems so anti-woman uh, to a certain extent, where Gun Crazy felt like she she felt it was more important to give the female character a stronger uh, persona. And I, I know she had a lot of fun making this movie. I know she really connected with Adam Sandler and they, they had a great bond as far as like what they were looking for in the comedy. But I still find for a, for a woman director, um, like it, I, part of it is just frustrating to me that the, the f- females in this film just are given so little to, to work with and are treated the way they are. And, and, you know, I, I do like, uh, Tamara Davis, I, I think that she's directed a lot of interesting things. I don't know. I guess that's one of the things with this film that I, I wish was a little stronger. Do you have you watched any of the other like dumb comedies that she's done, like Half Baked, and I guess what else she she did Method and Red, and she did CB4, which which got. I, I remember that one getting a lot of good buzz. I haven't seen yeah, it. Um, it's something that is certainly on my list of things to check out because uh, I do think that you know she she could do that one. I think she could do something interesting with that one. Um, but otherwise I haven't seen, uh, I don't think really anything else of hers. I don't, and she's done so much TV. Yeah, One episode, two episode, three episodes. She's done a lot of TV since, um, th- Yeah, the last movie she did was the, uh, Britney Spears movie Crossroads in 02. She does have coming up an, uh, adaptation of 13. Yeah. That's the musical. Um, it's all, the musical? I don't know how they're going to do it as a movie because the, the, the musicals all teenagers playing all the roles and it makes me wonder if the film they're going to do that still or if that's going to come across weird and they're actually going to cast adults uh too well they are deborah messing rhea perlman so obviously they're giving up on the entire conceit of the broadway play yeah interesting um anyway i I, i'm not um much of an aficionado of of tamra davis this movie doesn't help i'd like to see gun crazy um i haven't uh, seen that one uh i and so this this isn't a great entree uh into the tamra davis collection but i have seen a bunch of the tv that she's done you know just accidentally and i don't remember wanting to light the tv on fire for many of them and again, it's a capable film. Like, it's a competent film, as Steve says. Like, it's a competent film. It, like, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, it definitely appeals to some. And I recognize that largely what I don't like is the character and the way the character str- strings together sketches in this movie. And that's a, that's a taste thing. Movies are hard. <laughs> Movies are hard. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, in, in context of, of what we're getting here, it, it's fine. And, and if you're into the humor, you're going to enjoy this. If you struggle with Adam Sandler and his humor, you're probably not going to be as big a fan of this particular film. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we've had in our, in our discord um, uh, live stream, a few uh, people have brought up the character. Oh, the, the wrestler. The uh, yeah, we, Josh Josh Mustel, the principal, principal Max Anderson. He we first meet him when he's substituting for Miss Vaughn when she's out sick, and um, apparently he uh, you know sends Billy a Valentine's card uh, talking about how much he wants him and how horny he is. Um, and and then of course Awful. we get the whole he's the blackmail 
like the whole conceit of the character is Eric blackmails him because he finds that he had been a, a masked wrestler in his past and had uh, sat on somebody in a in a you know bit and killed the person. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's a weird. Uh, the whole thing is strange. I like Josh Mustel quite a bit. Um, he was, uh, you know, um, Tom Hanks's lawyer in the Money Pit. He was um, one of my favorite characters in City Slickers. He and his brother are the ice cream guys, and that whole bit um, it just cracks me up with the, um, you know, scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla. Don't waste my time. Like I can watch that scene in City Slickers, you know, all day long. Here. <sighs> I, I really struggle with what they're doing with this character and what they're what they're saying and really like what it ends up saying now as you look at it and, and how they're how they're treating this particular character. What are your thoughts? You know, he's 75 right now. I think he was looking particularly young in the 90s. I guess he was, you know, for he's born in 46. So, yeah, I guess it was anyway, I uh, hated it. I hated what he added that this whole character is a hat on a hat for me i didn't need it i didn't need the ps i'm horny bits i just thought it was um i just didn't think it was funny i didn't didn't laugh at it at all i didn't need the wrestling angle i didn't need any of it it just was like too much it's just another layer on something that that as a result of it being there took away from something else like like that there was already maybe a movie here that we could have that could have had a little bit of of heart buried somewhere in the comedy. I didn't care for it. There's no heart. He He's played as a gay joke. He's played as a kind of fat shaming, like just all of it just seems very strange. And uh, like, he's not even given a, at the end, you know, it turns into another opportunity to just make fun of the fact that he just is like, I'm still horny and all this stuff. It's just, it, it just played so uh, frustrating and yeah, pretty lame. Can I ask you, um, Another question about a weird setup and payoff that I was like, what is, who is this for? The bus is driving. Chris Farley eats a banana and throws a banana peel out the window. We see that banana peel. We cut back to the banana peel rotting in the road over and over uh, throughout the film. And then finally, it gets a payoff late in the film. It's this high school bully, O'Doyle. O'Doyle rules. O'Doyle rules. Lots of O'Doyles. This high school bully, and he's he's bullying Billy, and then finally we get the payoff, and it's the O'Doyle family apparently driving, and they're all like, O'Doyle rules. It hits a banana peel, and the car goes off the road. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, it was like, what? it was ridiculous. Like, I didn't, I feel like it was, um, it was just to show high school karma and there's the, the other angle of high school karma is um you know the sniper when he calls uh what's his name steve buscemi steve buscemi who i love steve buscemi and what a fun like cameo for him where he calls billy calls him and says hey i treated you really badly and i just want you to know i've learned a lesson and i'm sorry that was that was wrong of me he's like hey no problem it's okay and he hangs up and he turns around and there's a list of 10 people that he wants to kill and he crosses billy madison's name (laughs) off that list okay that was already funny enough right i I didn't actually need any more of that payoff, but I didn't mind that he shows up. I I guess I did mind aged poorly, but a sniper shows up with a gun in a school and shoots uh, somebody in the butt. So if you take it in the context of the 90s and that this was a payoff to an earlier joke, 
that's one thing. I didn't necessarily care for it in the context because it gives the ickies. Uh, it is an inappropriate um, thing in our lives right now, and I struggle with that kind of humor writ large. Uh, but Buscemi itself, I get the joke, and I didn't find it a terrible joke. I thought it was. I thought it was funny. I did not care for the same thing. I just didn't understand the karma banana peel, Thelma and Louising off the cliffside. I just. I. I didn't. It, it didn't have any weight. There were no laughs. It was weird. Apparently, it is a like this is a movie that has generated a lot of memes, uh, and I just wonder if, <laughs> if, if again, it just it appeals to you if you're the right audience and you saw it at the right time and it clicks. But O'Doyle rules is a meme I've seen. Any other memes that like what were there some funny lines in here that stood out as something like a that's memeable? Like there were things I enjoyed, wow. like with the principal toward the end. Yeah, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have never heard. That whole monologue Whatever, yeah, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That was basically my review for this. I also liked it when he yeah. said, I have neither the time nor the crayons to explain this to you. <laughs> yes. He had some funny, um, funny lines. You know, Farley taking off, because part of the gag it, during his academic decathlon, um, you know, uh, preparation is that he has Veronica uh, taking off an item of clothing every time he gets an answer right. And yeah. it comes back around and pays off with Chris Farley doing the same thing. And he says, that is correct. It takes his shirt off. And I find that I find that. Funny. Yeah, but that's Farley. Yeah, 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 because it's Farley. Uh, exactly. That, I mean, there are lines in here that are that are funny, like, um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 of course, I can't think of it. Most of them I don't attribute to Sandler. It, it is some of those other bits. And so, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, again, I think it just appeals to um, people who really click with the, uh, the comedy for this. So, you know. Everyone my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Okay, that was good. <laughs> Did the penguin play for you? Just my last thing. That was just one of those things that I'm just like, this. they're just being random. Like, they're coming up with something kooky and random, and I'm not really sure um, what it's doing for uh, for me at all. It, you know, just is meant to be a, a guy who's just <laughs> drunk and seeing penguins. It didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be looking for great uses of penguins in film, I'm probably going to go to like Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, okay. I agree with that. I think uh I a part of the reason I don't think it played is because I I don't think uh Sandler at this point had the chops to pull it off. I didn't buy his drunk. I not once did I buy Sandler drunk. No, because he there is no difference and that's the that's yeah. the struggle. It's like he always was acting this way. Where where was that line that was crossed? Like why is he not seeing a penguin all the time because he acts the same yeah. through the whole film. Right. Uh, all right. Well, clearly not a film for us, um, but, you know, it's uh, I'm glad it has its fans. Um, you know, Adam Sandler certainly has been able to create a career for him and all of his buddies to kind of keep cranking the same sort of stuff out. And, you know, good for them. Uh, it's just nothing that I'm excited about. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. OK. All right. We'll be right back. But first, our credits. Thank you. 
The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by handsome Andy Nelson, music by Francesco D'Andrea, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds the stats for the awards and numbers at v-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. All right, how to do the award season? <laughs> Not very well. Uh, it had one nomination at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. That's going to be the place for something like this. Best comedic performance by Adam Sandler. That screams strange to me, but it is what it is. He lost to Jim Carrey for Dumb and Dumber. Uh, interesting because they came out of your part. I'm not sure where, the, where their line is as far as when uh, the cutoff for a uh, season is. Uh, the other nominations, Jim Carrey also for The Mask, Tim Allen for The Santa Claus, and Tom Arnold for True Lies. And I certainly would, you know, if anything, I would add um, Jeff Daniels in here from Dumb and Dumber and just drop Adam Sandler entirely. <laughs> then I think you yep. have a lineup I'm happier with. Yeah, absolutely. And how about at the box office. Something else we didn't talk about with Tamara Davis is she was a replacement on this film. She came in four days um, the, before they had to start shooting because the previous director, all she was told was that that previous director, who was a friend of Sandler's at the time, I guess, wasn't funny enough. And so she came on and ended up working. She was given $10 million to make this movie. That's $16.8 million in today's dollars. The movie opened February 10th, 1995, where it opened in the number two slot behind other new release Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, one of my uh, uh, ones I have a great time with. Shallow Grave, the other new film that weekend introducing the world to Danny Boyle, had a limited release opening in 16th place. Billy Madison did well for itself, earning $25.6 million domestically and 900000 internationally for a total gross of $44.5 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $311,000 and set Sandler on his way to become all that he is. Oh, Andy, I see you you left a a sort of a dangling thought picture there, a dangling experiment for my brain. When you, when you say what has he become, that's different for everyone. All, Pete. all that he is for everyone. He's become all of that. Did you did you have any thoughts on the musical interlude? I enjoy when a comedy randomly throws like a little musical bit at you. I think it's kind of a fun thing to just kind of acknowledge that this is a movie we're not in reality. Genuinely, I I think those are fun. Adam Sandler's voice when he's singing has never been one of my favorites, although I do think the Thanksgiving song is kind of funny. Um, I don't... um, uh, It was okay. I I don't think it really went as big as it could have. It just kind of... it, It ended up feeling like it's kind of funny, but it just was there. I uh, too thought it was there. Uh, I didn't find it all that all that funny. Um, I just didn't think of more musical interludes that I like better than this. I just don't didn't find any of the callbacks that funny. Um, so that's yeah, fine. The strangest one for me was the clown, the stilt. Oh, the clown hemorrhaging stilt clown. Yeah, that right. everybody thought like he he gets he gets tripped by a donkey at one of the 
like first grade graduation party and collapses on the ground and everybody just laughs and nobody <laughs> acknowledges like, oh, this person yeah. fell down. We should check on him. And apparently he has been there all the time up until we get to that uh, musical bit. It, it was a strange, strange moment. Nib high football rules. <laughs> That's all I got. All right, everybody, we'll be right back for our ratings of this film. But first... We're going to play the trailer for the movie that's kicking off our next season at the beginning of August. It is none other than George Lucas's Star Wars. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. Coming in too fast. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Villains and aliens from a thousand worlds. Star Wars, a billion years in the making. And it's coming to your galaxy this summer. All right, Andy. So now we get to rate it. Let's see <laughs> Do we if the to? chat room was right. <laughs> Where'd you land? Uh, letterboxd ranking for this. Um, you know, I... I keep feeling guilty about like, as I have these conversations about these movies, I keep feeling guilty that I gave the weight of water a half star. Cause I'm like, but this was, but that yeah. was better than this. Yes. Like I, I just keep landing there. So this film really is just a half star film. I mean, it has some actual funny moments genuinely that made me laugh out loud, usually involving Chris Farley, but largely, uh, just the film itself was just um, complete misfire for me. And Billy Madison was just a, the most grating of characters. I just did not care for him at all. And I mean, that's that's the thing. If you can get into the character, if you can get into it, you're going to like this movie. For me, I just absolutely couldn't. So I just found him just, I mean, I agree with a lot of the critics. Sophomoric and juvenile, not for me. Half star, no like. Wow. This is, as you can imagine, I, I wonder if you can imagine my biggest challenge in rating this movie. Can you? Um, yes. Your biggest challenge in rating this movie is that you can't do half stars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Andy. Yes. You know me that well. I can't. I am Pete. No half stars. Right. I cannot do half stars and I cannot rate 
zero stars because I don't know how that works on the algorithm. This is a one star, no heart movie. Absolutely. It is bottom of the barrel for me. And uh, I do not care for it. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Billy. I need to go watch Uncut Gems. I can't wait to add this one to our flick chart. So for everyone who doesn't, who's not a member, we do our retake episodes after each series. So after this episode drops to members, we will have a retake episode where we actually talk about kind of the four 90s comedies, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Clueless, The Last Supper, and this. We'll be kind of talking about those four films and just kind of 90s comedy in general. And we also add these to our flick chart. And that will be an interesting experiment to see um, you know how this one fares when it comes to that. This has been probably one of the l- roughest of our series. I think that we've had. Uh, you know, we've had some some films that were kind of a challenge. So we'll see. Yeah, we sure have. Wow. All right. Well. All right. One star. That's one it. Star. I got All nothing right. else. So what did you think about Billy Madison? We would love to have a conversation with you about it. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in our Discord community, where we will be talking this week about the movie. When the movie ends. Our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. I didn't. I went to the top of the barrel, but I don't think I went as high as you did. Did you do a five star? I did. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess you should go first. Or should I go first? You, want me to go you should first? go first. Is we your... should end on a high note. Okay. Since or end on the highest note because I went on a four star from Christy, and I I went. We've we've talked about these points, but I want to offer this as a sort of cinematic uh, olive branch to the movie. That I get that there are things going on that are comedic, and I still didn't like the movie. But I'll note this: Christy says there is a scene where a car driving the family of Adam Sandler's high school bully skids on a banana peel placed on the road 20 minutes earlier in the film, then careens off the cliff. The presumed death of an entire family is followed by a smash cut to a room full of teachers and school children rapturously applauding. This is one of the re- just one of the reasons why Billy Madison is one of the best films ever made. That's a funny, you know, context cut. And I want to acknowledge Tamara Davis for making that choice. Thank you, Christy. Death to the family. Death to the family. Applause from school children. All right. That's that is all. That seems very I'm not dark. saying we have very to dark. celebrate it. We just have to acknowledge that it exists. It's funny that someone you know uses that as a reason to give you four I know. It's the very strange. Four stars. Uh, I have a five star by Dimitri Box clearly had some fond memories. I liked it when he had trouble writing cursive in elementary school, so he screamed at all the little kids, I hate cursive and I hate all of you! And he then cried and ran out of the classroom. Another father-son bonding movie. I love it. Would you like to try Buzz? (laughs) (laughs) Rurodo? Those are ours. Okay, see, I'm laughing. That was a funny bit. I can't believe we didn't talk about the cursive because the cursive was a funny bit. That was doesn't deserve another half star, but no, 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 no. That's because the Z is a funny cursive letter. It's because Z is comedy. Cursive is comedy, and that's where, like, they they succeed on like what are those things that we can latch onto in these different grades that is funny. Yeah, that Sandler isn't going to screw up by trying to make comedy out of it. It's already funny. 
Yeah. So yeah, the pace bit was funnier when he was eating it. And then they kill it by having the teacher smearing it on her eyes or whatever. She's hat doing. right like, on a What hat. was that? Yeah. What was that? All right. Yeah. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>